is Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us. We are, as always, so very happy to have you. Katie, how are you? I'm doing good. Great. Good. Yeah, I'm doing good. How awesome. are you? I'm doing very well. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm just chilling, you know, living. I didn't just get back from a very exciting trip to Ireland, <laughs> which I know you talked about a little bit on our last episode, but now you've actually been. And I just was wondering, and I'm sure the rest of the audience is wondering how it went. Because I've never been, listen, I've never been to Europe. So I'm very intrigued and a little jealous. I had so much fun. So I only went for, I guess, a little less than four days, um, which is crazy to me. Yeah, but Ireland is so small and it's really cute. A lot of the travel recommendations I got were for places in Northern Ireland, which is technically, you know, there's a lot of conflict between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Um, My ancestors would have rolled over in their graves if I crossed the border into Northern Ireland. Gotcha. I am very Irish on both sides. Right. My dad's parents came over here from Ireland and my mom's grandparents came over here from Ireland. Wow. And my mom's grandfather, so my great-grandfather, was in the Irish Republican Army. Wow. And was on hunger strike, all of that good stuff. Shit. Yeah, so very Irish over here. Yes. But yeah, I flew into Dublin from Boston, and it was like, god, I think it was like a six and a half, seven hour flight. It's not super bad. No, not too shabby at all. Huh. Yeah, it was fine. It landed in Dublin. I got a rental car, which I was terrified for because you're driving obviously on the other side of the road right right so i just like drove around and practiced a little bit oh that's scary the advice that i received was to get as compact of a car as you can oh because the roads are very narrow yes okay and they're i would say they're well maintained like it's not like they're falling apart or a Mm. lot of potholes but there were times where i was driving and there'd be like sheep Oh, or other cars coming at you. And it really, to me, like before I booked the rental car, I was like, all right, am I going to just send it and drive around and see everything I want to see? Or should I play it safe and do tour buses and stuff? Sure. But what was recommended was to drive. Like you can really do everything. And I went by myself. So I really wanted to just like solo travel, see Mm -hmm. everything I want to see. I didn't want to be on a tour bus with my face pressed up against the glass. Like, Wait, yeah. I wanted to stop and walk around in that little small seaside town and take photos and get food. And like, I really wanted to do my own thing. Right. So the first day I landed in Dublin, I like dicked around in Dublin, just (laughs) explored, (laughs) learned, got a little more accustomed to the car. And then I went to County Wicklow and there's this gorgeous national park. Cool. And it's just a very like magical place. The national park reminded me of somewhere that like, fairies would be or beautiful maybe leprechauns yeah it was so fun it was beautiful and then the next day i hightailed it literally from one side of the country to the other oh shit i made it to doolin cliffs of moor and i had booked this horseback riding excursion (gasps) i was so excited cool i was so excited i used to ride horses like years and years and years ago you used to be a horse girl But it was so cool because I was like, I really want to horseback ride in Ireland. And yeah. I also really want to see the Cliffs of Moher, do yeah. all these things. So the horseback riding tour actually went by the Cliffs of Moher. Oh. So it was a two for one. It was nice. like, 
you know, I'm only here for four days. Right. Really got to get the bang for my buck. Yep. And then I just like rode around. That's awesome. I enjoyed it. Loved life. Cool. Yeah, it was beautiful. That sounds so awesome. The motherland. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Potatoes and whatnot. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Ireland too, just because of the the quite literal fact that there are sheep everywhere. And just like loose sheep. I love that. That's like a dream to me because I love animals. <laughs> so you're like, oh, there's a sheep coming down the road. Great. Bring it here. You know, like I'd be down. And it's just beautiful. Like yeah. the temperatures are very mild, even their winters. Really? Very, very mild. Hmm. Everyone is very nice. The accent is beautiful, I yes. think. I have a lot of family members over there. And then I have a lot of family members here in the U.S. that still have the Irish accent. Right. So my great aunt Regina actually called me and just her little accent was Aww. so cute. She's giving me recommendations. Cute. Killarney is beautiful. Like, like she's Aww. so sweet. Yeah. Just, I think the accent's pretty. And yeah. then just the history. Yeah. Nice. The motherland. That's Ireland. awesome. That's so cool. Hell yeah. I'm really glad you had a good time. Definitely like a self-care just you. This is something you needed and you did it. And I solo love it. travel. I love it. Yeah. And that's brave too. I could never solo travel like that just because I'm lazy, I think, <laughs> you know, and to only go for four days, like, God, that's tough because traveling itself is so exhausting, man. Well, that's great. I didn't do diddly squat <laughs> on those days. So I'm, I'm living vicariously through you. Hell yeah. And I'm jealous because you, I mean, Ireland, my mom just a few months ago went to Scotland for like two weeks. Oh, wow. So now I'm just like surrounded by these wonderful, beautiful countries that I'm not actually in. It's great. I'm actually working on getting a passport right now to, to push myself to go on vacation because my boyfriend is always like, oh, we should go here. We should go here. And I'm like, nowadays you need to have like real ID on your, um, license, which yeah. I do not have. So I was like, I need, I need a passport. So I was like, I'll just cut my losses and I will get a passport. So I'm working on that. I have to find a whole bunch of things. Like I have my birth certificate, but maybe we'll go to Ireland. We were thinking maybe Iceland next, like in the winter or the fall or in the spring. Do it. I can give you a recommendation. And that's what I told Elijah. So, which is perfect. Just like your aunt gave you recommendations for Ireland, maybe you can give us recommendations for Iceland that yeah. we maybe aren't going. Or Greece was another one. Oh my god, I want to go to Greece so bad. Ugh, right. There's cats everywhere. Oh, I need to go to Greece now. I would not make it back through customs. It'd be like, why is your suitcase squirming and yeah. meowing? Yes, literally. No reason. I would get rid of all of my clothes to fit them in there. <laughs> I'd be like, that's weird. Anyway, I gotta go. Like, but my plane, my, ah, you know? Oh, <laughs> Look over there. And then just, just book it. Yeah. Then they get to me and they undo my suitcase and there's eight cats. <laughs> that would be me. It was just, I'm sorry. They got, I don't know how they got in there. You know? Ugh. Well, that's, that is so fun. I'm glad you had a good time. And I'm sorry that you're back. <laughs> Especially now because you're working on moving, which yeah. is no fun at all. Yeah. It was a nice break, though. There was never a time in Ireland where I felt like I was going to get shot. Hey, now that's good. <laughs> Can't say that for here in Merca. Seriously. <laughs> it was a nice break of, like, was that a firework or was that a car backfiring right. or was that a gunshot? Right. And right. Don't know. Or like being scared to go in public because 
a school shooting or a workplace shooting or a grocery store shooting or a church shooting or a park shooting or a parade shooting or a concert shooting isn't going to happen. That must be nice. That's a nice break. Yeah. While it is always great to hear about your travels and how fun, you know, you had a good time and I'm glad. Unfortunately, we're going to change gears a little bit and talk about an awful story. Nothing new here. It's going to be terrible. And our story kind of comes with like bonus stories within it, which is good. So I'm glad we're able to cover it. Mm -hmm. This case was suggested to us by a lovely listener, George S., who sent us this case along with several others via email. Some of the other cases George suggested are also very interesting, I think. Yeah. And a few of them are very appropriate for our Halloween special episodes. Yes. So yes. just kind of planning ahead. Yes. George asks, we might be using one of your other cases for one of our Halloween specials. Yes. But thank you so much for sending this case our way. We actually did not have this one on our list no. prior. No, we didn't. And it was very fascinating. So thank you very much, George. Yes, thank you, George. We really appreciate you. And not only did he email us, he also used the website submission tool. So it was like a twofer, and we love it. We love it. So thank you, George. And without further ado, today we will be covering The, the Disappearance of James, James Lusher. Lusher. Okay, Katie. Let me know what you have for sources today. I would love to. Thanks. I have information from Mass Live, Uncovered.com, The Charlie Project, The Berkshire Eagle, Boston.com, TimesUnion.com, and last but certainly not least, Murderpedia. Absolutely. What a twist at the end there. Mm -hmm. I also had Mass Live. I had an excerpt from a book called Hidden Demons by Marjorie B. Metzger. I used Find a Grave, The Westfield News, Murderpedia, Syracuse.com, something from La Justia, my fave, and an article from Berkshire Eagle. So in a true fashion of our podcast, let us start by introducing you to who James Lusher was. James, who went by Jamie, was born in October of 1976, and he grew up with his sister, Jennifer, who was pretty close in age. In 1992, Jamie's parents had divorced, and he went to live pretty much exclusively with his dad. Now, his dad and him, I mean, they didn't really get along super great. They didn't have the best relationship, but he lived there regardless. Jamie was not only small in build, but he was also emotionally and intellectually immature, in 1992, Jamie was 16. So while he was physically 16, he looked more like 12. He acted more like 12. He had trouble making friends, and he wasn't also doing very well at school. Uh, social cues and aspects were difficult for him. Uh, he attended the Westfield Alternative School for students with, quote, baggage, was the description. And I was like, oh, that is an interesting way to phrase that. Also a little rude, I feel like. Oh, wow. Yeah. But nonetheless, that's the school he went to. Jamie's dad described him as naive, impressionable, and extremely hyperactive. So obviously what we're gathering here is that Jamie had some behavioral problems. He had some intellectual disorders. He clearly was having a tough time. And we know, especially in the 90s, for a child who has trouble with these kind of things, school is never easy for them. 
And even if they're at an alternative school where there are other kids with the same struggles, they t- it tends to just not be easy and not a good environment regardless. Mm-hmm. So that's tough. That's really tough. His dad also said that Jamie was super friendly, which is great, but he was friendly to a fault. He said that his son would go anywhere if somebody asked which usually we hear the opposite when we talk about these cases. Yeah, usually the kids are shy mm-hmm. or, you know, they know where they're going and they're going to get there and they have responsibilities. Maybe they're looking after younger siblings Absolutely. or maybe they're known for not talking to strangers, not trusting strangers, clinging to their mother even yes. was one of the missing kids that we've covered. Right. Like Absolutely. always clinging to his mother's hem of her shirt yes. or something. Yeah. So this is definitely rare that we cover a kid who is just very friendly and outgoing to the point where they literally would go off with anyone. Right. Very different. And of course, there were good things about Jamie too. You know, we just talked about like, you know, he had some problems, but he did have good things about him. He was very friendly. He loved dogs, which A plus buddy, me too. Who doesn't? (laughs) He also loved bikes and he loved spending time outside. His sister, Jennifer, described him as, quote, a little spark that if you didn't catch it right, you missed something awesome. Oh, I know. That's a beautiful way to describe him. And he was a loving child. He yeah. really was. Like, could he be hyperactive and bouncing off the walls at times? Sure thing. That was just how he was. That was just kind of what he was doing. But he was a loving child. It's difficult, you know, to be a parent of a child like that. So, you know... It's hard, and that's often the things that stand out to these parents and those around um, someone who maybe struggles with these things. But like we said, there's good things about him, too, of course. On November 6th, 1992, Jamie expressed to his father that he desperately wanted to go to Blandford, Massachusetts, to spend the weekend with his maternal grandmother, who he was very close with. He loved his grandma. Again, A-plus, buddy. Who doesn't love... You know, a good grandma is a good grandma. On that Sunday, November 8th, there was to be a bike race in Blanford, and Jamie really wanted to go because he really loved bikes. He loved bike races, and he had just recently got a new bike. His birthday was like three weeks before this happened, so he that was one of his presents, and he was ecstatic. And it was a gorgeous bike, too. It was gray-green in color. It was Huffy brand, mm-hmm. which is, like, pretty... A good brand. Yeah, that's expensive. That's a good-ass bike. And it was this mountain bike, Mm -hmm. so really high quality, and it was just beautiful. What kid doesn't want a bike, and what kid who's obsessed with bikes (laughs) doesn't want a bike? Like, this was his pride and joy. Absolutely. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, Jamie's dad refused to bring his son to his grandmother's house. I'm not sure why. I, I think there, I think he had to work. There was some valid reason, but this obviously, you know, this made Jamie very upset. And because he was emotionally immature and, you know, very hyper-focused, impulsive, impulsive, it just made him really upset. He was really upset about it. So when James Sr., which was his dad, came home from work on November 6th, that Friday, Jamie wasn't home. And at first, he kind of assumed that Jamie maybe did what Jamie kind of tended to do, was impulsive, got on his bike, and drove to his grandma's house, which was kind of far away. 12 miles. Yeah. 
12 miles, which in a car, nothing right. to be a child riding a bike. Mm. Even if it's a mountain bike, you need snacks, you need water, <laughs> you yeah. need rest periods. Yeah. And it's November. Like, you need yeah. to be appropriately dressed. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into 12 miles. I know, it does seem like a lot. Ugh. I don't ride bikes, so I don't really know, but it seems like a lot to me. I would be a little concerned if that was my child. I just feel like I'd be like more than like, oh, he's probably just at grandma's. Eh. And it was James Sr. It was his ex-wife's mother. So I wonder if that had a factor in it too. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't really want to call my ex-mother-in-law, you know? And because Jamie was how he was... James Sr. didn't seem super worried because it really just seemed like something Jamie would do. On Sunday, November 8th, James Sr. finally made his way over to his former mother-in-law's house to pick up Jamie, you know, fine, like, you won, Jamie, like, you were able to go to this, you were able to go to this bike race, la la la, you could hang out with your grandma that you love, like, good, fine, I'm coming to get you. Except when James Sr. got to his ex-mother-in-laws to pick up Jamie, he learned that um, Jamie wasn't there. In fact, he had never been there. Not once. Now starting to get a little panicky, James Sr. went over to where the bike race was, and he was like, okay, he's probably at the bike race. You know, it's like about that time. Okay, maybe he's there. He looked. He looked around. He asked around. He said, have you seen this boy? Have you seen he looks like this? Blah, blah, blah. He made the disturbing discovery that no one had seen Jamie there either. So now he's panicking even more because it's been two days now and nobody realized that he was missing, which as we've talked about before, those first few hours, let alone days, critical, very important. At 4 p.m. on this November 8th, the Sunday, James Sr. went to the Westfield Police Department and reported his son missing. By 7, Jamie still had not come home, and the investigation quickly became much more serious. They were like, okay, the bike race is over. It's, you know, they their school in the morning, whatever, and he's still not home. It's November, it's getting cold, it gets dark pretty early, not super early at this point, but still fairly early, so it's like, oh shit. And he's, again, he's immature, he's not responsible. Him being out by himself is not good. It's not. No, and 12 miles by bike, that's a long route mm -hmm. to maybe make a wrong turn or forget which stop sign is this one and you make right. a left here and a right here. To memorize a route for 12 miles, it's, a lot. it's probably not a straight shot either. No, I doubt it. The reaction of the entire Lusher family was apparently very confusing to police as they were going back and forth between wanting help from the police or not. The police were saying that you know, the Lusher family wanted to handle this on their own. And, you know, mostly because it was their family member and they had dealt with someone who had immature and, you know, mental challenges that maybe would make it difficult. But then at the same time, they were like, oh, but we could use the police and their resources. It could really be a help. So they kept on, like, bing-bonging back and forth. The police force involved in this case also noted how much the family fought. Apparently they were bickering all the time. And even with the investigators, which is not great, in that kind of, you know, it kind of decreased the effectiveness of the initial investigation because there was just a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And of course there's going to be tension because they're, somebody's missing a child. 
But the bickering and the fighting was really rubbing the police and the investigators the real wrong way. And they were like, mm, do you want our help or not? Which is, that's not a great way to start an investigation. Right. And you're already starting this two days late. You're really not off on the wrong foot there. And now you're just yeah. coming in and you're fighting and yes, I want your help. Okay, no, just kidding, I don't. Okay, wait, yeah, maybe that'd be cool. Yeah. No, hold on, we're going to handle it on our own. We're going to have a fight, and then we'll get back to you. Right, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not good. As the investigation was going forward, it was revealed that two days after Jamie's disappearance, a waitress at a Friendly's restaurant in Westfield reported she had seen Jamie. Hmm. Finally, a hunter found his beloved bicycle abandoned near a pond in a wooded area on November 12th, which was definitely abnormal. That is really a clear indicator something is wrong, mm -hmm. because Jamie would not just dump his brand new bike he got for his 16th birthday in a wooded area discarded. He would not do that. No way. That was his prize possession. That was his baby. Mm -hmm. So to find it in like six days after he disappears? Ugh. Yeah, and that was really the first and honestly only lead as to where Jamie was. Really? True. They did an extensive search around the pond. They did search from the air. They had mm -hmm. canines. They even consulted psychics. Yeah. No leads. You know somebody's getting desperate when they contact psychics. Oh, boy. That's when things are getting dire. Yes. Several days after Jamie went missing, police actually interviewed a girl in the neighborhood and she said that she had seen and had a conversation with Jamie on the mm. day that he went missing. She said that he was hiding, and she asked him why, and he said he was afraid that he was in trouble. Ugh, that's awful. And, you know, Jamie's family, too, for a while thought that maybe what it was is that, you know, obviously, James Sr. told him no, and then he went to work, and then Jamie took it of his own volition, very impulsive, and maybe biked to his grandma. So... Maybe he was scared to be punished and yeah. afraid to come home. So it makes sense what you said about that girl being like, oh, I saw him. I talked to him. He said he was scared. That makes sense. Yeah. And at first, you know, we talk about this all the time. Whenever there's a kid that goes missing, especially a teenager, especially if a teenager might be impulsive or have behavioral issues mm -hmm. or not get along with everybody in the house at home. Right. The first thing that police go to is... No, they just ran away. Every time. They just ran away. They Every time. Which we always say, a runaway child, whether they've run away or not, we still don't know where they are. They're still missing. Regardless of the circumstances as to how they became missing, they are missing. Go find them. Yes. It's really not that hard of a concept. And Jamie could be moody. He could be yes. irritable. You know, hormones as a 16-year-old boy. 100%. Coupled with maybe a mental disability, behavioral issues. Right. That is a pretty hefty storm to be dealing with. Yes. I would know as a former pediatric psych nurse. That's, that's <laughs> right. a lot. Yeah. His disability also made him act younger than his age. He had a hard time making friends. Really did not like school. Mm -hmm. And like we said at the beginning, his parents had also just really recently gotten a divorce. I think he was taking it pretty hard mm -hmm. that he was going to be living full-time with his dad. He had a strained relationship with his dad, and his dad just told him, no, you may not go to this bike race right. that is right up your alley, and that's like going to be your favorite thing in the whole world. Right. And for whatever reason, he had his reasons, and that's fine. Right. And even if he didn't have a good reason, that is the adult telling right. the child, 
No. Right. And we know Jamie impulsive, but... Right. Despite all of this, he would not run away. He would not just discard his bike and run off. Yeah, that's very telling. And how far is he going to get on foot, you know? True. And he clearly didn't get very far if a girl in the neighborhood saw him hiding. Yeah. And he was seen two days later in Westfield. Yeah. In a friendlies. Yeah. I would love to know if the waitress saw him alone or if she saw him with somebody. I think that really would have been helpful. True. I would hope that if she did see him with someone, she would have said that then and there. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not. You never know. You never know. The case was featured on America's Most Wanted in January of 1993, and as a result, investigators received over 70 new tips in the days that followed. Wow. All 70 tips led nowhere. Oh. And they still had no leads, no new evidence, and no idea where Jamie was. Right. And like you said, after they found the bike, that was really it. They had nothing else. Then they released that episode of America's Most Wanted. They got tips, led nowhere. And that was it. That is until July of 2013, when suddenly an unexpected update arrived. Louis Lent Jr., a man who was spending life in prison for the 1990 murder of another young boy out of Pittsfield, suddenly confessed. Apparently, Lent, who was once a janitor and a handyman, had confessed to Jamie's abduction and murder after being reassured that he would not be tried for the crime. He then proceeded to give extensive details about Jamie's death, which, technically speaking, we could not really corroborate because his body has never been found. But Lent was like, no, here are the details and here's where you could find his body. Lent told the police that they would find the 16-year-old's body in Greenwater Pond in Beckett, Massachusetts. This immediately proved to be quite intimidating for the investigators because the pond was 88 square acres across and got as deep as 58 feet. So that's, um, that's daunting. I can't imagine. Mm. And then his family to be all of a sudden like, oh, it's been 20 years. We've got nothing. We've There's nothing. And then... All of a sudden, it's like, wait, come again? Crazy stuff. Jamie's father actually said that he never fully believed that Lewis was responsible for his son's death. He said that for a long time, he thought that his son had gotten into a fight with other kids. Mm. Which is so sad. Yeah. The temperature of the water was about 44 degrees, (sighs) despite it being July. Yeah. During the search, 18 divers from both Massachusetts and New York State Police spent an entire day of the three-day search. They decided, you know, we're going to dedicate three mm-hmm. full days. We are going to section off this pond. We are going to search this shit foot by foot. Yeah. And they literally went hand by hand in some places. Yeah. On the first day, they focused on an area on the north side of the pond near Route 20 where police believed Lewis had placed James's body. Mm-hmm. That specific area alone was about the size of a football field, Ugh. which now you think of a football field, but underwater, right? where the visibility sucks, it's cold, it's dark, mm-hmm. there's varying depths. Right. And they also said that the bottom of the pond really varied, and the conditions of the pond itself varied based on the area and the depth. Mm-hmm. Some spots at the bottom had gravel, some had up to several feet of soft silt that had accumulated over time, and this has been almost 20 years. Right. So just thinking about what you could find underneath several feet of silt, true, or rotting leaves or trees, debris, all of that good stuff, 
So these people literally had to go hand by hand and the silt is like evaporating in front of their eyes yeah. and it's going into the water and it's clouding the rest of their vision. And yeah. it really was not an easy search. And the divers actually worked in half hour shifts and they yeah. had to be very diligent with the search, just, you know, differing conditions mm-hmm. and making sure that when one diver came up, the one that came down was taking over the exact same spot. Right. And they weren't leaving any square inch untouched. Right. And their goal was to find literally anything relating to Jamie, his bones, a shoe, clothes, literally anything. And they even tried to use sonar equipment because they were so desperately searching this pond because they thought they maybe had something that, like, this guy was telling the truth. They were so hopeful. Unfortunately, the three-day search turned up absolutely nothing. A lot of police were thinking, you know, Lewis Lent, he confessed after all these years. He told us this exact spot. He said, you know, intimate details about Jamie's murder, Mm -hmm. that he dumped him in this pond. But they were also thinking, well, Lewis, this is not the first murder that you've confessed to. And this is also not the first time that you've told us you have placed a child's body somewhere. Lewis had actually historically led police on a wild goose chase with another one of his victims, who we'll talk about later, Sarah Ann Wood. He drew police a map, leading them to an area up in the Adirondack Mountains because she was killed in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Police had to search in brutal January conditions. In the mountains. In the mountains, (laughs) wading through several feet of snow. Mm. Didn't find anything. They went back again in the spring once everything thawed. Mm -hmm. Found nothing. Meanwhile, Louis Lund is probably chuckling to himself like, oh, these officers, I think it was 156 or something crazy, had to cover this area at the base of a mountain. (gasps) And he's probably warm in his prison cell, chuckling, thinking about leading these people on a wild goose chase where he knows they're not going to find anything because he's not going to tell where he actually did put the body. Massachusetts State Police Commander Timothy Albin stated, quote, We're not out here for Lewis Lent. We're really here for the Lusher family. We're trying to bring some conclusion to 21 years of wondering what if. If we've brought any satisfaction to the family, I think whatever we've done here today is justified and well worth the effort. Mm. Jointly, James Sr. and Jamie's sister, Jennifer, considered Greenwater Pond to be, quote, Jamie's final resting place, despite nothing being found. James Sr. said that the evil killer, Lent, quote, unwittingly placed my son in a place that my son would have loved, which always breaks my heart. I think that's so sad. Yeah. He also went on to say that he can feel confident that he can go to a specific spot and that he can go there to talk to him. Mm. Jamie's sister, Jennifer, said her brother would have loved Greenwood Pond and stated, quote, now when I go down the Mass Pike, I have a place where I can blow him a kiss. Aww. Because the Mass Pike runs right alongside a good amount of the pond. Yeah. Sadly, to this day, Jamie Lusher's remains have never been found, and all we have is the confession of a killer who was known to lie and give wild stories in these, quote, confessions. Which is really unfortunate. Now let's talk a little bit about Lewis Lent and who he was and why he was in jail. Because he had um a few crimes on his belt when he confessed to the murder of Jamie Lusher. And, um, well, let's just say he was a flaming hot garbage human being, and we hate him. 
I think that rounds it up pretty nicely. <laughs> Lewis Lent Jr. was born in 1950, grew up into a troubled criminal history, and is, in every sense of the word, a piece of shit. What brought law enforcement's attention to this sack of shit was an attack gone wrong in January of 1994. Lewis attacked 12-year-old Rebecca Savarese in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He attempted to kidnap her at gunpoint and force her into a borrowed pickup truck. But Rebecca, she said that her mom was, I believe she said her mom works in a convenience store. Oh. And so her mom always told her, and this is a lot for the 90s. Like, you don't really always get this. Right. But her mom told her, you do not get in the car with anyone. If anyone tries to hurt you, you make a scene. You yeah. scream, you yell, you fight back. Mm-hmm. You do not go willingly. And Rebecca said in a later interview that she knew that if she got into that car, mm-hmm. she was done. Yeah. She was done. She was going to wind up, I don't know, murdered, something bad would happen. And they always say to you, do whatever the fuck you can mm-hmm. to prevent getting from point A to point B with someone. Right. Because there's always going to be something worse waiting for you at point B. Mm -hmm. Rebecca did some quick thinking and she pretended to be suddenly really short of breath and dizzy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's holding her at gunpoint. He's trying to fight her and grab her. And then all of a sudden she was like, whoa, I don't know. And she just like, yeah, faked a medical emergency, caught him off guard. Just for a second. And then she, you know, whipped around, started running. Yeah. Lewis lunged and grabbed her, but he got her backpack. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca wiggled out of the shoulder straps mm-hmm. and she saw a man across the parking lot and he was kind of looking over like, like hey, is everything okay? Right. Made a beeline to him mm-hmm. and he got away. Yeah. Or so he thought. Right. In January of 1995, approximately one year after his attack on Rebecca, Lent was found guilty of kidnapping larceny, assault with a dangerous weapon, and assault and battery. Rebecca, now 13, was so brave, and she testified in court against her attacker. What a brave little girl. Love that. The reason why Lent was caught was because his pickup truck, which wasn't his, he actually um, borrowed it from someone, was found, and inside there was Rebecca's backpack, and, wouldn't you know it, a loaded gun. The very same gun that he threatened her with. Hmm. How intriguing. When Lent was subsequently arrested for his crime, he was, obviously he was interrogated. During the three days of interviewing, interrogation, Lent suddenly admitted to killing two children. And with this massive revelation, he also admitted that he suffered constantly from blackouts and, quote, memory lapses in which he blamed these loot acts happening during those memory lapses. Because, you know, it wasn't him, it was his other mental state. I think he said during one of the times that he was telling police he had blackouts, I read somewhere that he told them it was from an encounter with a UFO back in the 70s. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I can't imagine, like, imagine (laughs) interrogating this guy and having to keep a straight face and be like, Tell me more about your encounter with the UFOs. <laughs> wow. Can you? That's so. <laughs> or like videos. pretending to write it down and take notes like, okay, fascinating. Yeah, that totally adds up and makes sense as to why you are oh. claiming that you can't remember anything. Right, right. And you said that the aircraft had, oh, it was green lights. Wow. You know, like, wow, that's a good point. Like, what do you say during that? It's <laughs> awful. 
The first of the two murders Lewis confessed to was that of 12-year-old James Bernardo, who went missing after leaving a movie theater also in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, on October 22, 1990. Lewis worked at the movie theater at the time, but he wasn't considered a suspect then. Right. In his confession, he told police that he used a hunting knife and kidnapped Jimmy at knife point. He brought Jimmy to his apartment where he taped him to his bed, cut off his clothes, and sexually assaulted him before murdering him by hanging him off the next morning. Terrible. What kind of sadistic... Awful stuff. Oh, my God. And, you know, he said some terrible, terrible things regarding this murder. He said, at this time, I had an overwhelming desire to have sex with somebody, and he looked vulnerable to me. Ridiculous. And he said, you know, the knife he used to threaten him to, like, make him get in the car was from a bag that he, quote, carried with items I used for the purpose of kidnapping people with. Which made me believe that, uh, was that... You know, the first time. I was going to say, this ain't his first rodeo. No, clearly not, right? He ended up tossing Jimmy's bike and, like, all this stuff. Like, he had Jimmy tied up at home. And he threw his bike in the lake. And when he came back, he used a knife, cut off Jimmy's underwear. And then he said this when he was being interviewed. He said this was what the thoughts in his head. Quote, It was my intention that if he was a successful sex partner, I would keep him alive and use him. However, I had made up my mind that if he was not successful, I would kill him. And, well, we all know what happened. That is nauseating. Mm -hmm. He murdered this 12-year-old boy because raping him didn't work out like he dreamed of. How terrible. This little kid on his bike, he was offered $5 to move some seats in a movie theater, whatever, and... Only to be brought to his death. Terrible stuff. On November 21st, 1990, pretty much exactly one month later, a hunter found Jimmy's nude body with a rope around his neck and tied to a tree. Awful. Wow. Yeah. Clearly kind of staged there, huh? They actually found his body up in Newfield, New York, which was about 200 to 250 miles from the movie theater he was abducted from but conveniently a short distance from Lewis Lent's childhood home. You gotta be more difficult, buddy. Like, you can't go back to places that you can connect to yourself. You'll get caught. What an idiot. He also confessed to the kidnapping and murder of 12-year-old Sarah Ann Wood, who was abducted when she was riding her bike home in Frankfurt, New York. Which, that's crazy. She was also out riding a bike. Clearly he has an M.O. Mm-hmm. He initially confessed to her abduction and murder, but then recanted his statement. He had told police that he kidnapped her and pulled her into the back of his van before sexually assaulting her and beating her to death with a heavy tree branch. Mm. What? So awful. He said he buried her and, quote, didn't check to see if she was breathing because I don't like to touch dead bodies. Which, if I were the police officer talking to this guy, I literally would have just reached over and killed him. Like, what a dick, <laughs> literally. Like, oh my god. So awful. And while Jimmy's family was lucky to get closure because they did find his body, Sarah Ann's body, very similar to Jamie Lusher, has never been found. And this is exactly like you said, Katie. This is where he led them on a wild goose chase, drew maps, blah, 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 and led them to awful conditions where nothing was found. 
Although he has only been tried for the murders of Jimmy Bernardo and Sarah Wood, and he confessed to Jamie Lusher's murder, there are other children that people desperately want to link to him. A lot of those children are out of New York. Some of these murders include Holly Pirinen, a 10-year-old girl from Grafton, Massachusetts. She was abducted in August of 1993, and her body was found two months later on October 23rd. Sarah Pryor, who was nine, was abducted from Wayland, Massachusetts in 1985. She's never been found. And as far as we can tell, it appears that Lewis Lent Jr. is still alive, and he's obviously in jail, and he's still hiding many secrets regarding his crimes. And I really think he did kill Jamie. I think he knows where his body is and is doing exactly what he did with Sarah Wood, Mm -hmm. which is so evil. It's so infuriating to me, like, it almost, and we were talking about this before we started recording, Mm -hmm. like, what if we wrote him a letter and tried to talk to him? Like, even petty bribery, like, what do you want from commissary, pal? I'll write you a check and put some money in your commissary for some honey buns and Mm -hmm. Twinkies and whatever the fuck. Yeah. If you let him know some details. Right. And then we'll give you a little more if you actually lead them to somewhere that is accurate. You know, where we can find a body or something. It's so infuriating. And there's so many cases we've covered where the perpetrator, quote unquote, it has not been proven that they've been responsible. Mm -hmm. We know deep down they're responsible. They just won't grow a pair and buck up and admit it. Right. Right. It's crazy. It's annoying. Infuriating. And it's infuriating for us. And it's infuriating for you guys. I can't imagine the family. Right. I think it's really beautiful that Jamie Lusher's family was able to find some peace, you know, and thinking that's where their loved one is resting. Mm -hmm. But God, I wish they could just find his body and really know for sure. I think the fact that Jimmy Bernardo's body was found is... Thank God. Yeah, and how Rebecca Severis got away. Yes. Strong, very strong little girl. And she got lucky, too. Imagine if she wasn't wearing that backpack and he just grabbed her Her. shoulder or her shirt or her hair. Right. Who knows? Right. Right. Guys, as always, we want to know what you think. Do you think Lewis Lent Jr. is a likely suspect for the murder of Jamie Lusher? You can find us on... Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeAny. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email at TrueCrimeAny at gmail.com. We, of course, have a website, TrueCrimeNE.com. You could go to our contact page and use our handy-dandy submission tool to send us your thoughts on this case, other cases we've covered, suggestions for cases based in New England, please, that you would like to hear us cover in the future. You can be anonymous if you so choose. If you do decide to leave your name and we cover the case you suggested, we'll get a little shout-out at the top of the episode. Thank you again, George S., for sending this case to us. We genuinely may have never come across this case if you hadn't suggested it. Very true. So we really appreciate you. We appreciate all of you guys for being here and for listening. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.